Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. So Zach's been talking about, and then the other ministers have been talking about, to know God is to love him. The deeper we know him, the more we love him. But also to know him is to fear him and be in awe of him. Because he is all powerful. By his word, he spoke and the whole universe existed. And think about all the dynamics of the fabric of all the existence in the ecosystem that we are in. Not just if you just took your own little person and the ecosystem of what it takes to keep you alive. Like gravity has to be just right. You need the right kind of atmospheric pressure. You're a needy. You're a needy human. You need the right amount of food. You can't have too many carbs or too much sugar or too much whatever. You know, this perfect balance is what you and I need just to exist, let alone what in the ecosystem inside your body that needs to all be working all together. And if it wasn't all working at the same time, thousands of parts and pieces, you couldn't exist. And God spoke with one word, bam, and all that existed. That's why we're in awe of him and in fear and reverence to the living and powerful God who only had to speak and all of the existence, the ecosystem that we are in came into being. I was thinking about this, is that our world revolves around a ball of fire. That's crazy. You know how dangerous that is? I mean, the science guys have like figured out like just a little too far away or a little too close, we all smoke up or we all freeze. You know what I'm saying? It's held into balance in perfection because of this God that we love and move toward. And when we do, we grow in our reverence and fear and awe of him. We need to learn how to have the appropriate level of reverence and fear for God. This is one of the things Zach was talking about. And when we do, it right-sizes all of our other fears. That's a pretty good word. If you have not heard these messages... I'm just saying, they're some of the best messages I've heard in my life. They were so good. I'm still chewing on the revelation, and I'm, my job's to, like, fit in the middle of all this. Okay. When I fear God right, it right-sizes my irrational fears. You know we have irrational fears? We ought to be afraid of God and standing before him in that moment when we stand before him, and we ought not to be afraid of the devil and all these other crazy things. Sometimes we have all these huge fears of rejection and, and, and fears of what might be or what could happen. And honestly, when it all comes down to the end, when we stand before Jesus, saved by the blood of Jesus, then that's all that matters. Rescued from all this chaos, standing before him in perfection, that's the moment we're all living for. And when we think about the fear of the Lord, it's like, I'm gonna give full account in that moment. And the Bible says, for every word I've spoken. And then in James, it says, as leaders, don't aspire to be a leader, like, because you're going to be judged at a higher standard. See, Christmas cakes. That's scary to me. I think about that moment, I think every day. I think every day, I think about when I'm making decisions, like, whew, I'm going to stand before God for this. And you know, I used to stand before my father and give account. And that was a scary moment. 
One time I took the truck, the family truck, the plow truck, it was the trash truck, it was an old Ford pickup truck that had holes and rusty, all that kind of good Nikiski type lifestyle if you ever grew up in the country. Uh, I had a country truck and I was 12 and I thought, hey, this is a great idea, I should drive this truck. And it was like February, so it was like in the middle of winter, there's tons of snow. And so I get out and I fire up this truck, I was bored, I was left alone a lot. So I get in the truck and I start driving the truck, I drive it up to the main road, I'm like, yeah, I'm awesome, I'm 12, okay. (laughs) And then I had the appropriate amount of fear at that moment to not drive on the road. Because I'm like, I don't know how to drive. I got up there and I go like, I realize I don't actually know how to drive, I'm just trying, right? And then I turn it around and I come back down and I, but we lived and it was like about a quarter mile from the top of our property to our actual house. And it went down this big hill and I get the truck stuck sideways in the driveway and my mom is at work. And so there's no way I'm getting this truck out and it is totally stuck and it is sideways and I have this serious fear come up in my heart. So I'm digging, I'm calling everybody, I'm trying to get help. I can't get this truck unstuck. And my mom comes home. And that was a scary moment for me. But what's even scarier is my dad had just left for the, he worked in the oil field, so he was week on, week off. And so he had just left. And it was like two days out, you know, and so I had like five more days waiting for my dad to come back. And I had to stand in front of my dad and give account for why I took his trash truck and tried to go drive it down the road. When you're 12, this stuff seems big, right? And I'm standing there waiting, and I know some of y'all, you, you've stood before whatever it was you did, you had to give account. And that moment you're thinking about giving account for, you're like, I am afraid of that moment because there's a power and authority that has the, 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 the power to change my life. And, and, and my dad changed my life when he got home. He corrected some things. My mom changed my life before he got home. Because uh. she had to walk for five, six days in February, a quarter mile, to get to her car past that trash truck. She walked past that trash truck. I'm sure she had quite a few choice four-letter words for her sweet little son. I dug for hours and hours. Oh, my Lord. We need to have the appropriate amount of fear and awe and reverence for the moment totally saved and forgiven by the blood of the lamb we're going to stand before God and we're going to see and give account for all the things we've done good and bad righteous and unrighteous and then Jesus will forgive us for all the unrighteous things but I promise you you and I do not want that list to get bigger and as we have given our life to Jesus the account we give after salvation is a different measure than the account before we knew. Before we knew what was right and wrong. The account is different. There is a different accountability in our life. And Zach preached the amazing word again last week. He's just been like, home run, home run, home run. So my job is get on base, okay? (laughs) Um, About the fear of the Lord um, leads us to tremble at his word. The Bible says in John that Jesus is the word. And he was in the beginning, and and in the beginning he was God. And and in the beginning, everything that was created was created through him. This is kind of amazing. Jesus is the word. The word is not just words. 
It is Jesus. He is alive. And he is powerful and he is active. And when he speaks, it brings life. And when we hear the truth of God, we have to tremble at his word. Being moved by it. But what does it say? See, when we just pretend like we know or we just walk around ignorant as if not knowing after we've been saved, the word of God is now living in us and leading us towards righteousness is what the Bible says. And we don't keep searching it to find out. We are leaving ourselves exposed to all kinds of danger and trouble. And the Lord doesn't want us to live this way. He wants us to live in relationship with his word and we tremble at it because it is true. Now, Zach said something I'd actually never heard before. I used to study the Bible codes, is what they call them, where these nerdy mathematicians plug in all of the Hebrew scriptures, and they call it like block texts of Hebrew scripture, and they plug it all throughout the whole Old Testament, and then they Bible search it with all these, you know, AI engines, artificial intelligence engines, and, and, and then they find all these things. Some people are doing that for weird stuff, but there's crazy stuff. And this is one I didn't know is that in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I'm just going to recap what Zach said because it was so good. And I wanted to frame what we're talking about today is the first two books. If you skip every 50 letters, it says Torah, 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 Torah. And then if you take the last two books and you go 49 letters, every 49th letter, it spells from the last two books, it spells Torah, 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 pointing to Leviticus, which is the book of the Bible that is all about how to be a priest or to maintain the priesthood, which is about maintaining the presence and the power of God and walking in salvation, okay? And all of that in Leviticus points to Jesus. It is one of the most messianic books in the whole Bible, and it tells us all about who Jesus will be and what he will fulfill in our life. But in every seven letters in that book, it spells Yahweh, 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 okay. This is so crazy. And for 3,000 years, and I'm really just repeating everything Zach said that I learned for the first time last week, okay? So we're all learning, right? It's good. Is God, Yahweh himself, the law and instruction points towards him who is life and his presence which brings life to us. All of the instruction in the word and that we tremble at is to bring us to life and to his presence in relationship with him. Everything that we're going through and everything in the scripture and everything that you experience is all about coming into a loving and lasting relationship with the one who created it all. With the one who is above it all who is the king of kings. He is the Lord of all lords. There is no God that can compare to him. There's no pretend God that can compare to him. There's no other revelation that can compare to his revelation. No one in the entire world, it's mathematically impossible for a human being to have done that. That points to Jesus, that points to Yahweh. It's, it's mathematically impossible. Many mathematicians have gotten saved studying this in the Bible. They're like, this is impossible. God has to be real, and the word of God is perfect. And so when we look at his word, it's our job to tremble at it and then obey. And that's really what we're going to talk about today, is how obedience to the, what is the word of God actually saying to us, and will we obey it? So I'm going to launch into a whole 
bunch of Bible reading right now, okay? So if you're tired, like slap your face right now, okay? And if you're married to the person next to you, then keep them awake. I just feel like the word of God is power. You don't need, we don't need to hear Josh Tanner's words, right? We need to hear God's words. So let's, there's going to be way more than we could unpack in here. I, we could preach a whole year on what I'm going to read right now. Okay? So like, I'm believing, I'm going to pray right before I go here, is I'm believing that God is going to bring revelation to each one of us as we need it. Because for some, it might be here and others, it might be there. Things that are going to come out. And we're just going to believe God's going to enlighten the word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings revelation and truth. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we need you. What we're going to do right now is impossible except by your grace. And so, God, we're inviting your grace. We're, we're invoking your grace to move upon us and let us hear your word as you wanted, as you intended it to be understood. Let it transform our lives. Holy Spirit, come bring revelation to my simple mind. And I pray that I would hear your word and obey. God, I would tremble at your word and I would begin to bring my life into alignment with your truth and your word. And I would see it right the way you intended, not the way I think it ought to be or someone else says. Lord, the way it brings true life as you intend. Do it in my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Ring, ding, 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 ding. Verse 12, NIV version. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, well, that would be nice, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We're going to read this in the Amplified Version. And it kind of breaks all this out. It kind of breaks out the Greek and the, the meaning of this is going to help us get this space. Philippians 2.12 in the Amplified Version. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, work out cultivate, carry out the goal and fulfill and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust, distrust, with serious caution, tenderness and consciousness, conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Okay, so just stay right here for a second. It's kind of cool to see this broken out a little bit because when we think about that my job is to um, work out. And we kind of think like, ooh, work out my salvation. There's something that happens when we start, as human beings, we start looking at the grace of God, the love of God, what he has forgiven us for, and then the tension between that and the law of God that tells us to do's and don'ts, like how we ought to live and not. And we think about working out our salvation. Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by grace, not by works. So we could get confused about how do I work out my salvation? You, okay, you believe in Jesus and are saved. This word salvation is actually to be rescued from. So we're talking about the position of salvation in this passage. I am positionally saved 
This is the context. He's, just, he's saying, you're positionally saved. You are believers. You believed in Jesus and got saved. How from that position of salvation do you work out your salvation? How do you work that thing out to completion and to get yourself into positions where you are continually being saved from the dangers of sin? Not salvation going to heaven and hell anymore. Okay, so and this really comes out about um, that with enthusiasm, I'm going to do this, not when someone's just looking, but it comes from an authentic place in my life. But I'm going to work out or read this again, cultivate, carry out the goal to fully complete. Right. I'm going to carry out the goal of salvation, which is I was saved for a purpose. This promise went all the way back to Abraham. You're blessed to be a blessing. Right? And it's fulfilled in Jesus. The way you're blessed to be a blessing everywhere you go all the time. Give your life to Jesus. If you've been a curse to society, give your life to Jesus. You've been a curse to your family or a detriment to the people around you, an abuser, a herder, someone that is harming and not adding value. Give your life to Jesus and that salvation comes inside you and now you get a chance to cultivate, to carry out the goal of salvation, which is to bring life and love and joy and peace and goodness all around you. God wants us to work it out, not go back to the law and try to get saved through the law. This is going to keep being a thing that comes up as we go. But we're going to cultivate and bring our salvation to completion with reverence and awe and trembling. And this word trembling, and which is like this fear of God, is about self-distrust with serious caution and tenderness of conscience, watchful against temptation, timidly shrinking back from whatever might offend God or discredit his name. Two things that we fear and tremble as we work out our salvation is the fear of what would offend God because of that moment when we stand before him. And then the other thing is about what it reflects to everyone else when I say and know and I declare Jesus is Lord of my life and now I confuse the stink out of you when I act like a, not a good person. When I behave in a way that is not in alignment with what I've been saved from and for, so I'm saved from my sin and saved for the opportunity to be a blessing and a carrier of God's love, grace, and mercy to the world around me. Like love, acceptance, and forgiveness, mercy ought to flow out of my life all the time, not judgment and, and, and self-righteousness and pride. And, and control driven from fear. All these things are, are not what I was made for. And when I behave outside of the alignment of what I was saved from and for, it confuses everyone. And in fact, it discredits the name of Jesus. And we ought to care about that. That ought to impact our heart. That my reputation matters. When my reputation is outside of the alignment of the nature of Jesus, I should feel convicted. That's good for me to feel convicted because it, it puts a black eye or discredits and it confuses people who are trying to seek and see Jesus. And when they see me, not just a mess, but a mess who pretends is like, like I'm not a mess. A mess that pretends like my mess is righteousness. A mess that pretends like my, my, my sin and my disaster is, not, is just okay. And we justify that. That is where it becomes destructive. 
But when we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we ought to be concerned about what we're doing. It offends God and it discredits the name of Jesus and matters. Let's just pray in this moment, okay? Father, help us. How in the heck can we do this without your grace? I just come against every spirit of judgment and self-righteousness or toxic shame. And I just ask God that you would destroy that work over this church and over our lives. And God, that you would just help us to very simply be passionate and in love with you to fulfill the great, the great purpose of salvation in our life. To be in alignment with you and to be a positive uh, reputation and a, have a positive testimony that brings life and light to the world around us. God, will you do this supernaturally in our life by your grace in Jesus' name? Amen? Amen. Amen. You can't, listen, church, none of us can do this without his grace. We're all dead on arrival, okay? But we need to be saved from some stuff. Because the word of God tells us that sin leads to all kinds of trouble and death. And it starts, it's all throughout the scripture. I'm just going to grab a few pieces here. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him, serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Can we say that together? For your own good. Okay, this is why. And if you see the emphasis here, it's so much on the love of God, the relationship with God, pursuing him and knowing him, and obeying his commandments. Sometimes we think, oh, God was just God in the Old Testament. They just wanted us to obey all his commandments, and he was just angry, mad God. That is not him. Sin makes God angry because sin leads to death for you and for people around you, people are being harmed and that makes God mad. Not he needs you to be perfect. Like it, it never was about that. It's always been about relationship with God, living in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with your whole heart. Be in a relationship with him and obey his commands and decrees because all that stuff, it leads you. Remember in the, in, in, in the Torah? Torah, 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 Torah leads to Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. It all leads to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Relationship, relationship, relationship. And it's for your own flipping good. All right. We are not truly safe from harm. The harm, we're not truly safe from the harm of sin until we stop sinning. We are not truly safe from the harm of sin until we stop sinning. This is why we need to work it out with fear and trembling because when we're not afraid of sin, then we're actually not appropriately afraid of what God tells us to be afraid of. I.e., let's draw back from the example that Zach gave in another great message, is that bear man was not appropriately afraid of bears. And so bear man became bear food when we're not appropriately afraid of sin we become sin food and that turns into not good stuff right we're assimilated for sin's purposes 
which the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything in our life. And when we mock God's word, when we deny his word and his truth, then we deny the reality of what sin does in our life, which it destroys us and those we love. And it looks enticing, and it immediately can fulfill or fill up or numb some of the pain and the hardship in our life in the moment, but God's not, it's not going to, it always leads to death. It, it always leads to something of destruction. And that's what we're going to read today. And I want you to get this and understand this truth is that you're not safe. You are not safe. If you don't know what sin is and you're believing what the world is telling you that's right and wrong, you're not safe. And this is one of the devil's great deceptions is he tries to discredit the Bible, the word of truth, so that you and I will not look at it and God, it's just a book, it's just a thing. Okay, it's not just a book. This is the living word of God. And what God says in it is true and it's for our good. And if we just try to fit in with the world because they say, oh, if you don't accept all of my desires and all of my things I want to do, you won't accept me. That's also not true. That is not the kingdom. Jesus said, you can be in the world, but not a part of it. You can love anybody and everybody and accept anybody and everybody, no matter what they do or have done. And that is salvation. Jesus said, no matter what you have done, I died for you. There's nothing too hard. There's nothing too big. There is nothing that you could have done that is too gross and disgusting and too terrible for the blood of Jesus not to forgive and love and accept you. And there is nothing too big for the church of God. Nothing. We can love through all sin. And we have to learn how to do that. And if we're being pretty honest about it, I don't know how great of a job the church universal has really done. I think our church is doing a pretty good job. And we need to keep working at it, right? But we have to have our heads screwed on right. We start getting mad at all these sinners out there. Oh, I'm so mad at all these people. This is what they do. What we have to understand is the deception that we have to buy into the fact that what people are doing is okay and good and right. That's where the deception comes because the enemy wants to get all of us to believe that we can all just do whatever we want. We're all saved by the grace of Jesus and it won't matter. It will matter. It does matter. And a lot of us, and I don't want to be in this group, like Jesus said this, you're going to get into heaven as if just lick, just barely, and the flames are licking your britches, okay? That's not how I want to go into heaven. I already got a list big enough. When I'm going to stand before Jesus, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that list. And I really want the other side of the list to be a little bigger and better. You're not safe till you know what sin is and what it will do to your life. We're not safe. I want to help us get a little safer today. We can just see a few things, and there's so much more than we could ever read. But these are the ones I felt led to read, and there's some meaty stuff in here because we're going to read Romans. Okay, so buckle up. Romans 6, 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness but rather offer, and this word offer, guys, is a sacrifice offering. It's like the same word offer, uh, an offering that's in reference in the Old Testament. It's a different Hebrew word. This is a Greek word, but to, to like lay an offering, to give up of yourself, to, uh, uh, to give it over to the Lord, to surrender it to him, 
to burn up and use or do whatever he wants, okay? So offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him, to Jesus, not the church, not your pastor, not your husband, not your wife. Okay, these are mega control manipulation broken to things that you guys need to get. I'm just gonna skim it, okay? To Jesus, and that leads to healthy relationships in all these other places, but you offer your life to Jesus as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer your part, the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Mm. Holy smokes. We're giving our life up as an offering. Ephesians 5.1 says as a fragrant offering if it's given up the same way as Jesus, all given up for him. And that's beautiful and acceptable to God. But we're giving up, guys, we're giving up slavery. I mean, does anybody watch like movies about slavery, especially American slavery, because we kind of feel responsible as Americans for slavery in America? Hello? And we're like, not again. It, do you know, that is a fraction of slavery that's actually happening in the world today. A fraction. There is by far exponentially more slavery happening in the world today. And you and I love to buy the shoes that slaves make. The clothes that slaves make. I'm just saying, we'd like to because it's cheap. And you know what? That's what we used to do with African-Americans and Irish and Chinese. I'm just dropping a bomb. I will, I, to the best of my ability, I will never buy another thing from China that I can possibly do because of this. Not only sex slavery, but in, 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 they're enslaving children to make all the kind of stuff we like. And we're like, oh, that's okay. That's not okay. And in the same way, we should hate that kind of slavery. We should hate sin that leads to that kind of slavery in our own life. When we sin and we don't understand what sin is because we don't tremble at his word enough to read it, we don't, we don't, we're not afraid enough of what sin can lead to. We're leading ourselves and allowing things to happen in and around us that put us in serious bondage that leads to death. 
I can say a lot of stuff about what's going on in the world. But the reality is, is we need to know the truth about how we're called to live. I don't want to fund things and empower things that fund and fulfill sin and ungodliness in our world. I think you need to decide before you and Jesus what he's leading you to do. Deuteronomy 30, 16. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. That sounds pretty good. If I obey the Lord, I love the Lord, he blesses me. There is a huge blessing in the obedience and the love relationship that comes with God. But if your heart turns away, and if you refuse to listen, and you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long life, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make his make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Still the key to your life, folks. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live a long, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestor Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now that is the new kingdom life happening inside of each one of us. All of the promised land is now you, by the way. You're the territory of the kingdom, and it's another life. Not that the territory and the natural land of Israel is not still part of the promise, but the part of the promise that is now expanded and fulfilled is inside the life of every single human being. And Jesus wants his land. And Jesus wants his kids to be fulfilling the promise within the land and letting the promise and the blessing flow in and through their lives. Holy smokes. We're called to walk in life, not death. God doesn't want us to walk in death. Okay, in the devotional, I want you guys to read. Now, I'm just going to read it. We're going to do it. I'm going to power it. I'm going to do it. For I'm not ashamed. Romans chapter one. You guys ready? You want more, more scripture? I just feel like I'm supposed to read all this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith first uh, from by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, but because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what, he ha what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their, their thinking became futile, 
Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Zach was preaching about how when the kings all went off track, they stopped doing one thing that the law said to do, which was every day they were supposed, first they had to write the whole Torah, then they had to read it every single day. And every king that got off track did not do that discipline. And everyone that did stay on track did that discipline. And this is what happens when we give up or give over to to the, the knowledge, we stop pursuing the knowledge or retaining the knowledge of God, which is verse 28. Just furthermore, just as they do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Listen, guys, it's worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. We need to know what sin is and what it leads to because it leads to destruction and death. And we need to not believe what all these other people and everybody else is saying about it. We need to believe what the word of God says and then pursue God in a loving relationship and flip and do it for our own good. Verse 29, they have been, become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. You see those things together, young people? When, when you don't know the truth, our, our flesh, our, our, our sin nature is so good, it's inventive. And if you look at the world today, you're like, dang, I never even thought about doing that. That's crazy sin. Like, it's crazy thinking. And people invent all kinds of ways and disobey their parents. Hello. You might not know this because if you were an 80s kid and then you listen to a lot of 80s music, you think rebellion and doing whatever you want and not obeying your parents is like cool and good. Not true. Disobeying your parents, y'all, is not good. It is, is sin that leads to death. In fact, it breaks one of the 10 moral commandments, which is to honor your father and mother. And it's the first one with a promise that you will live a, you'll be blessed and prosper and live a long life. The devil wants you to forget this. He wants you to, to suppress this and he wants you to not regard it. He wants you to think, oh, that's not that big a deal. I'm a young person. I do what young people do. No, you're a powerful believer in the kingdom of God. You don't do what other young people do. You have an uncommon kind of faith, which is what Tom was, was talking about. You are living in an uncommon kind of place, and you are saved in an uncommon way, and you are filled in an uncommon way with the power of God that leads 
to righteousness and you live in righteousness and when you obey your parents and you honor them, your other friends think you're a freak and they go, what is wrong with you? I remember I, I, when I was not saved, I was always lusting after girls like every good teenager would do and my friend had gotten saved and we used to talk all dirty and, you know, like Andrew Dice Clay and then all of a sudden he stopped. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And I, he was weird to me. Because like, I was like saying something about some girl that was walking by, and he's like, I don't do that anymore. I'm like, what happened to you? <laughs> it messed with my head. And I got saved not long after that. And then I was like, oh, I get it. That leads to death. When you do this, it, it, it penetrates the culture around you because of what you're doing it for. You're like, I'm not doing this to prove I'm better than you or, or I have something more than you. I'm doing it because I'm scared of sin. It leads to death. That sin is a bear that wants to eat me and turn me into its byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Uh, we're in a competition to see who can say it the least now. Okay. They invent ways of doing it. They're gossips, gossip, slanders, haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They are, uh, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey the parents. They have no understanding. No such thing. No, no fidelity. No love. No mercy. Woo, these are big ones. Although they know God's righteousness decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The church ought not to behave this way. We need to know the truth and shift who we are and what we believe into alignment with who God is and what he has designed and desires for us. Romans chapter two, verse one. Stay with me. You therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else. Ooh. Just don't point fingers, y'all. Just talking about you. Just talking about yourself right now. Let everybody else figure everybody else out. Like, hey, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. You just need to be scared of it, appropriately afraid of fear that will lead to righteousness. That is fear of God because we understand what he says is true and right and real and for our own good. Verse two, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Truth is not relative. It's absolute. And truth is what God says it is. Truth is God himself. Truth is the shape of Jesus. So when you, a mere human being, perspective, pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is always drawing us in to make it right to get us to escape from sin, which leads to death. He's trying to save us from death, always. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. I didn't say it. 
God said it. That's that moment we're thinking about and living for. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then the Gentile, but glory, honor, peace to everyone who does good, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. For all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Okay, so if you're in the law, you're toast. You're going to be judged by it. You'll see the law, and you'll be like, ooh, I'm in trouble. How am I going to be saved? <laughs> if you ignore it and you run away from it, you ask the same question, you're like, ignorant. You're like, I'm just looking all stuff. You're piling up all this sin. You are asked, you need to know how am I going to be saved from all of this? But both places lead to death. And this is just like in the Torah, guys. They both point from both sides, from sin and from the law, whether you're in and under and trying to be it perfect, you're not going to make it. You need salvation. This law points out all the sin you have and you could never do it on your own. And when you just live lawless, all of the fruit of sin leads to death and it's piling up against you and you realize this is terrible. Both things point to Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. To Jesus, 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 I need a savior. The law was always designed to point to the savior. Sin is designed in, or it exists in our life and the fruit of sin always leads us to the need of a savior, okay? Now on the law, and can we get my examplers? I have a little uh, object lesson because we just said a lot. So we're gonna wrap all this up. Where's my object lessoners? They're coming, I believe it, in faith, in Jesus' name. But I wanna say a couple things about the law while they are coming in faith, in Jesus' name. Here they come, okay. Is there are kind of three parts to the law. There is ceremonial law, which led to, that showed us how to be saved. There is the social and legislative law that leads to governance and how to be governed and do what's right, okay? And then there's God's moral law, which was his 10 commandments that were absolute and they've never changed and they're not going anywhere. The first two were temporary because Jesus took over salvation because no one could be saved by the law, only by Jesus. And the legislative law has now been fulfilled in Christ and we live on a different law that is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll hear that in a second. Okay, so uh, this is a principle that I just want to wrap up all the theology you've said that we were just talking about in all of this, okay? Very simply. Ooh, my knees, they're 40, okay. <laughs> Let's move you over here. All right. So can you hold yours up a little higher? I said... I told her to train for this, do her delt workouts for a while before we got this. Okay, so what happens is, is in our life, we are moving towards one thing or the other. Those of us that, like me, that you grew up outside of the church, um, we're just like way over here, right? We're the party folks that, and depending on how much we did, like if you move out away a little bit farther, okay, you know, some of us invent ways of doing evil, right? I'm like, and I hear about other people's ways, and I'm like, whoa, that was way more creative than the way I was sending. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> but I was over here somewhere. Thank you. But I was like, yeah, you did some good ones. Okay. Um, not so good ones. 
But what happens when we get saved is that we get transformed and then Jesus rescues us. And from typically how, right? This creates something. It's called potential energy for all you science folks out there. And I'm going to try not to hurt you. Okay, I'm going to swing it for less. Okay, so it comes here. And what happens when we get saved and released from sin is we have this equal and opposite reaction that moves us toward instant, oh, I want to obey the Lord and, and follow the law. And we need to be careful with this. Okay? Because the more we did, the bigger the swing. Okay? But this works the other way for all you church-going folks. Let's come back over this way a little bit more. Come towards me. All right, and this is going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> church kids, church ladies, church fellas, okay? This is going to hurt a little bit. This is what they just said. This is what Romans just said, okay? And I'm just breaking it down really simple in the way that you would if you grew up next to the trailer by me. <laughs> right? So the law is perfect. God's law is perfect. And the Bible says that. But the Bible also says it didn't help anybody. It's, you're like, what? And it also says that it's slavery. <laughs> How is that? It's because God doesn't design us or want us to be moved over to dead works in religion Okay, which is what we naturally do. Do you know that there were 613 laws in the Old Testament that were given? 10 were Mosaic law, or, or 10 were the moral laws, and then all the other ones are about, uh, about you know, legislation, how you ought to operate and live towards one another, and ceremonial, about the way you would move towards the forgiveness of sin. Okay? They're all split up. But do you know how many more thousands of laws that when they were left alone after the prophets were done, that the Pharisees emerged, their little Pharisee group emerged, and they created thousands of laws to try to explain better the 613 that God already created. They're like, that's not enough laws. If we really want to be righteous, we need to make up a whole bunch more. And so when Jesus showed up, there were thousands of more laws in the Mishnah, okay, that was as added on law to explain how this ought to happen. And then everybody got super confused and the Pharisees did it out of power and control and, and maybe fear and other things. But what that does, guess what all that stuff led to? Bondage, death. And what happens is when we, we do the same thing, even in New Covenant life, where we try to cram all this down the throats of our kids or other people around us in the world, and we say everybody needs to behave and follow all this stuff and do it all this, this way, it becomes dead because there's no life in it. There's no Jesus in it. It doesn't, one, we add on a bunch of stuff and screw it all up because we're gifted at that, okay? We're just like Pharisees, folks. If we don't regard the truth and read it and make it adjust us, then we will get out of adjustment, either towards there is no law, there is no righteousness, and go way over here, or we'll go way over here and go, oh, we'll just add a whole bunch of other stuff, and then we just do it because, and if I do it because, then I'll find life. No, you'll be protected from all the crap over there in sin, but you are not actually finding life in Jesus. And guess what this does, folks? This confuses the heck out of people. Because when they got saved, or when we tell our kids, you're going to experience the power of the living word. And then they obey and do all the stuff, like come to church and do all the stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight stuff. They just do all the religious acts 
without a real relationship with Jesus, they don't experience life. You can flip yours around. They experience death. Oh, look at that. My prop team on their A game today. <laughs> Let's go, buddy. What happens when people find out, especially young people, they find out all the stuff you're telling me isn't real. It isn't true. Is this dangerous that when they see the perfect law of God and the way they encounter the perfect law of God and they're not experiencing the life of Jesus, you think that's confusing and dangerous for them? Heck yeah. You know what happens when they break loose from that? They get out of the constructs, the institution of the church, which is designed to preserve relationship with Jesus, not keep everybody behaving. But then that, unpack it. You'll listen to it again. When they break free, they have an equal and opposite reaction. We wonder why our kids rebel. They want Jesus. They want what's true. They want real life. And if this is dead, then they're like, maybe that, I haven't been doing all that stuff they say that's okay. Same lie that the devil told Eve in the, in the garden. Hey, if you just, God's just trying to hold you back from all the good stuff. Go try all that. Boom. The more religious we get, the more controlling we get to even towards spiritual abuse, we have this huge opposite reaction. Bam, I nailed you. Sorry about that. It gets way out. The, oh, sorry, I did it again. Third time it's on purpose, okay? <laughs> it goes in it. It has this potential energy. And we wonder why our kids get way off track in the church. Because we're not teaching them the truth. We're not regarding the truth. And you know what also? We're just scared. Can we just admit that we're scared? Because parenting is the scariest thing you could ever do. Leading people is scary. And you, you have to let your own reputation go. I just want to be a healthy reputation for Jesus. And what happened? Oh, not yet. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Our arms are shaking. Sin, we know this, right? It leads to, you can flip yours, death. So what leads to life? What Romans said is that the word, the living word, Jesus, relationship with him, not just obeying the word, the law, but living relationship with Jesus, falling in love with him, the living word, when we rest and we let go of all of this, now there's no potential energy here. We're abiding and resting in the power and the presence of my relationship with God. I'm saved from all this sin. Not by my work, tick, 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 but by what he has done for me. Whew. Thank you, God. Because I, if I didn't have to work for it, I don't have to keep it saved. And he, Jesus is like, you don't want to try to keep that saved. You know how many sacrifices it'll take to try to stay saved? You can't do it. And he, point, he, he drew it all out so that you would know and see. It's 613 things you have to do all the time. And you need priesthood and a temple and sacrifice. You've got to kill all animals and get it done too. Not cool. And I'm not going to say that my sin, ooh, it's just okay. Because I'm resting in this grace and this love and this mercy, that me behaving like this is just okay? No, I tremble at his word because I'm going to stand before him one day and give account for every way, even when I knew and I know better and I ought to know better because now I know. And everyone here has a greater level of accountability after the last two weeks because you know that his word is true and you ought to be trembling at it. And second, now you know some stuff in his word that ought to be trembling at, that we're not going to go over here towards death and we're not going to go over here towards this kind of death, death in sin or death in legalism. 
We're going to find life in Jesus. Life in Jesus is the only place. This is where it is. It's right here. See, that says death over there, folks. This space is the confusing space usually, guys. But for young people, we end up here until we taste all this and we're like, oh, this is not good. I don't want this. But the problem with this behavior externally and in our physical bodies, it comes with addictions, which are highly like, there's a big stigma around it. And if we were all more honest around here, we'd probably all talk more about and be like, shoot, man, I explored over here and I tried to medicate and try to find peace when I needed peace in life in Jesus. And I was like tired and tired of some of this and then came over here or maybe hard things happened in my life ended up over here. And there's real addictions from alcohol, sexual addictions, uh, drug addictions. Come on. Buying addictions. That's what comes over here, this external stuff. And we need to start getting honest about that so we can get free. Because he says, hey, don't start pointing fingers. Because you're casting judgment on yourself. You're like, listen, the only way there's hypocrites in the church is if you start being judgmental and pointing fingers. Otherwise, we're awesome. Because we love and accept everybody and go, oh yeah, dude, you got all that stuff? You should hear my story. And people find love, acceptance, and forgiveness, which is Jesus, instead of judgment, right? And we don't try to perform and be perfect. And we don't disregard that the law of God is true, but we have to trust that we can live in the law of God in this space of life. Just in relationship with him. And read one more scripture, okay? Here I go. Right, you guys stay there. Don't go anywhere. I want you to see this. Can you, can you flip them the other way? Okay. She's doing good. You can hold it down. Here, let's hold it down in a little easier space there. That's better, right? Everybody still gets it, right? Okay. Good job, Kristen. Okay. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Actually, you have 1 Timothy 1.8? Let's do that one. Okay, we're going to do that one first. We know that the law is good when it is used correctly. So I just want to reemphasize that because some of y'all stuck in your little religious part, I like blew you up. It was like a hand grenade. You're like, he just said the law is bad. The Bible said, not Josh said. Okay, the Bible, the law. Yeah, turn yours to the law. Okay, there you are. The, the Bible said that. It can be used incorrectly and it leads to death when it's used incorrectly. It's used correctly like, remember this? Torah, 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 Torah. Jesus. That's the point of the law. Torah, Torah, Torah. Instruction, instruction, instruction. It proves, it shows the shape of Jesus. So it has to be perfect. Trying to obey it is the bad, or like use it for salvation is the bad application. Okay? And that leads to death. You can't find life in that. Only in Jesus. And then sin. Torah, 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 Torah. Jesus. Okay? Galatians 5.1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Pretty good word. You could just sit on that. I could have just said that today. And don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. 
Hello. Galatians 5.13. I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. It's way over there. Rather, serve one another in love. That's Jesus. That's life. That's life in him. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See how Jesus just solves all these problems? He's so cool. But we get confused, and the power of the Holy Spirit moves us away from the law of sin that leads to death, and the law that also leads to slavery and bondage. And we have to trust him and just in relationship with him. That when we're led by the spirit, God solves and wraps up both things. He gets everything he wants, which is a relationship with you and us living in righteousness, which is good for us. That keeps us from the scary, bad results of sin. The bear, right? To eat us. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I don't even think I know what debauchery is, but I probably did it. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. These ones hit home. Selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is another passage where it talks about from my position of salvation, I will not experience the things of the kingdom of God. Not saying if I do all this stuff that Jesus' love is not powerful enough to save me from my sin. It's that that stuff's gonna eat you. That's a bear you're allowing your life. It's gonna eat you and you're not gonna experience the fullness of what the law promised you would have in Jesus. Hello. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. And of course, if you disregard Jesus for salvation, you certainly won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since they live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Whew, I did it. Here we go. I think the temperature in here got hotter. Did it? Yeah. All y'all are sweating a little bit. Okay, I feel it too. Like, you're <laughs> like either the temperature or it's the conviction. Okay. Just want to, I'm going to just wrap this up. I want you guys to hear this. To live by the Spirit. Okay, this is what we're going to do. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all this stuff. 
we need to fall in love and hunger and thirst for the word of God to know the truth. Read your Bible. Read your Bible every day and pray every day. Because praying, we're not just like pray some religious prayer. Don't just pray some religious prayer. Holy Spirit, this is Galatians 5, lead and guide my life today. Reveal the truth to me. When you open up the word, uh, Zach was saying something really cool about it. The one who illuminated the word illuminated to me. Something like that. I thought, that is so good. Like, yes, God, the Holy Spirit will guide your life. It's not that complicated. It's just really scary and hard. Life is really hard. Listen, you're going to end up in both of these categories. You already have. And the, the thing that Jesus says to each one of us that, that, that will get us back on track over and over and over again is repent, 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 repent. Today is a call of repentance to go from the law or religiousness or from sin and just God, Holy Spirit, guide my life into truth. Forgive me for every way I've been off track and I've been arrogant to think I'm better than others or why can't people get their life figured out or I, I, I need to just do all this stuff so I can fit in or I'm just out there trying to medicate my life and I've been doing whatever and thinking whatever and thinking God doesn't care about that. He does, or it doesn't matter and impact other people. It does. Your choices matter. The way you live matters. The life and the love of God coming through each one of us, not only to please God in obedience but and give account to him, but also in the reflection of our reputation that it puts on the name of Jesus himself. We will all stand and give account for that. And our best life, is right here in Jesus, the Word of God. You can turn that around. It is where you're going to find life. And like Deuteronomy said, will you choose life today? Will you choose life? Amen? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.